0: Welcome to Inside the Hut. I'm your host, Brooke Pollock, founder of Hut Capital. Inside the Hut is a podcast that talks with leading blockchain venture capital investors to dive deep into their firm, strategy, and approach to a complex space at the forefront of innovation. You can find this and other episodes on Spotify and other podcast players or on our website at www.hutcapital.com. The content of each episode of Inside the HUD is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as legal, business, tax, or investment advice, or be used to evaluate any investment or security and is not directed at any investors or potential investors in any HUD Capital fund. Please note that HUD Capital and its affiliates may also maintain or be considering investments in or related to the company's funds, assets, or strategies discussed in the podcast. For more details, including a link to our investments and related disclosures, please see www.hudcapital.com. Welcome everyone to this week's episode of Inside the Hut with your host, Brooke Pollock. Really excited to have on this week Ash Egan, founder of Archetype. Archetype is an early stage blockchain venture capital firm that Ash started in 2021. So thanks so much for joining us, Ash. Thanks for having me, Brooke. Looking forward to it. All right. So get started. We'd love just to hear about your background, your history, and how you came to where you are today.
1: Yeah, so I got into being a crypto VC really with the Ethereum white paper coming off the ground. I thought Smart contracts were absolutely fascinating at the time. I was up in Boston at a firm called Converge, and went around Boston telling everyone about this thing called Ether. It had just got listed on Coinbase, and wanted to get as close as I could to the Ethereum ecosystem. So I ended up taking a gig at Consensus, where I helped co-launch the venture arm at Consensus. I was there for about a year, and then went out to San Francisco to join Accomplice. Accomplice is a generalist venture fund where I led crypto investments. So I was there from 2018 to 2020. And it was an awesome run while I was at Accomplice. Ultimately, the crypto native funds were getting absolutely massive. And from my seat, it just seemed like there was this spot in the market that was missing, entirely focused on early stage crypto founders and that sort of marked the inception of Archetype.
0: Awesome. So I assume when you joined Consensus back in the day, no one was questioning your life choices. Everyone thought that was a brilliant move getting into crypto back then.
1: <laughs> it, it was a crazy time. So Consensus was 300 or so people. When I joined, we scaled up to 12 or 1500 very quickly. This is the 2017 boom. And I'd say that was the beginning of when friends started asking, what is this? Thing crypto. But yeah, I think professionally, friends and family members were just wondering what the hell I was doing. But now they're pinging me again every few years. You get those text messages and those emails.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we'll get more into what Archetype does. But just in general, I mean, you've worked at generalist firms, even if maybe you were doing all crypto or a fair amount of crypto. How does that differ working at a generalist firm versus doing a dedicated crypto full time VC?
1: Yeah. So at Archetype, our entire focus is building the most compelling product for early-stage crypto, blockchain, Web3 founders. And I think at generalist firms, you're looking at dozens of different industries as a collective firm. So really serving and having that North Star, I find it's enormously helpful. Just really focus on the zero-to-one for crypto founders. That's not to say you can't do crypto at all as a generalist firm, but sort of having the willpower, the influence within a firm. It's quite difficult, I found, doing it a generalist fund. That's not to say you can't do it, but our entire when we wake up until we go to sleep is focused around how can we best serve this unique type of founder in the space.
0: Yeah, I mean, it definitely makes sense as a venture firm to be solely focused in this category If if this is where you're spending your time. Did you also find that or do you also find that from the founder side that they prefer working with dedicated folks who are in the space full time or do they not care so much?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're going to be biased. We definitely hear the founders that we work with touting they want crypto native supporters on their cap table. And so we found that just from our network, the products that we build in-house, the value add that we bring to the table, we feel like that really resonates with crypto founders. I'd say for Founders who are trying to tap into Web two ecosystems as they're building at the intersection, it makes a lot of sense to include those kinds of more generalist folks in the company or protocol journey. But yeah, we found that our sort of product resonates a whole lot with the founders that we've backed and we continue to back.
0: Okay, cool. So yeah, tell us a bit more about archetype. I'm just gonna. Get an overview of the firm and a summary of what you guys are up to.
1: Yeah. So as you mentioned, founded in 21, raised our first fund in 21. That was fifty-five million. Just me for the first few months until I got around to building out the firm. Today we're investing out of fund two, which we raised in 2022. We're all based in New York, so team of twelve. We have an in-person culture. We build the local community in New York, right on Crypto Alley in Soho. And our entire focus is on the earliest stages for crypto founders. Semantics-wise, what does that mean? It could be labeled pre-seed, seed, A, incubation. Our focus is entirely on helping founders get from zero to one. And I'd say the mission over the last 12 months has been around firm building. 12 months ago, we are just four people. Today, we're 12. We continue to think around how can we build out the best team offering and value-add products For the most ambitious founders in our industry. Curious to dig into that
0: a bit more. As you mentioned, when you got started, you were a single GP, it was just you, now you're 12 people. How have you thought about building a firm? What you want it to look like? What types of skills and expertise you want to bring onto the team? Love to dig into that a bit more.
1: So I'd say there are learnings that you can pull from storied venture capital firms within the web two sphere, but I think at the same time you have to do it in your own flavor. And As I focus on building out the team, it's building a group of folks who are low ego, remarkably curious, really get joy out of rolling up their sleeves and helping founders in the space and can serve a number of different functions. And so that will continue to evolve as we scale up the team, build out the portfolio and all these things. But I think the core things that I look for are people who have a chip on their shoulder, are low ego, and really want to help the founders that we back. And a lot of times, we'd like to think of ourselves as almost outsourced team members to founders that we're supporting and providing capital to. And so, I think that mission is going to continue to evolve as we sort of update our products and build out the archetype brand and community.
0: Yeah, I'm curious about. When you started the firm, you have certain expectations around what that journey is going to look like, and then you actually go through it and things can be quite a bit different. How has building archetype been maybe different than what you would have imagined back in 2021?
1: It's a great question and something I think about a lot in terms of firm building. I think initially I was of the mindset that I could lead by example, and that was sufficient. Instead, we've built out a team of younger folks, and from all stages of life in terms of looking at the archetype team. I've taken the role of trying to be an active, not only captain of the team, but coach. And so being very intentional around teaching the team about whatever it may be, the history of how companies and protocols, how these things scale, what to look for in entrepreneurs, how to best support them. Just taking that very active mentorship coaching mindset is something that i find has found to pay massive dividends versus solely just leading by example because everyone has their own style and how they want to roll up their sleeves and support founders
0: makes sense yeah and you guys also added a new partner to the team quite recently dmitri berenzon who was a partner at one kx i might be butchering his last name there so feel free to correct me <laughs> but you know as a small firm it's a big deal to bring on a new partner into the team you don't need to speak to Dimitri personally, necessarily, but what was that process like making such an important hire for the firm?
1: Yeah. So I've known Dimitri for six or so years. I'd say about a year ago is when I sort of evolved my mindset and being more intentional around building out our team with more senior-minded individuals. And Dimitri was at the shortlist. So I think he shares a lot of the ethos that we have, low ego. Loves working with founders. You talk to any founder in the space and they absolutely, you know, they're enthralled in working with them or interacting with them. And I think we're going to continue to focus on individuals like that. And look, I think it's important to have more folks to learn from out of the younger class that we have here at Archetype. So really thrilled to bring Dimitri on. We already have five shared co investments. And so I think. 2024 is going to be a big year for Team Archetype with Dimitri on board.
0: Awesome. Well, congratulations on the new team addition. Thank you. Yeah. I guess last question is around firm and team building for now. How do you think about building brand awareness as a young firm? Make sure that founders know about you guys, that the right founders know about you guys, want to work with you, know to come to Archetype for Capital and so on.
1: Yeah. So I think you have to do it in your own style. Like We made a bet that New York City was going to be a hub for crypto activity in the coming years. And it's played out in a very similar fashion. And we feel like it's just early days in terms of what the New York City community could look like. We do a ton of events, happy hours, educational seminars, just bringing brilliant people together in the space. And we feel like having that in-person culture is so important to how we firm build. It's something that in terms of building the archetype brand, I wanted to scale out the team and focus more on how can we unleash the superpowers of the team and build brand that way versus hammering content or doing things that are less genuine just to make noise. Maybe it's like ghostwriting or whatever it may be. So I think building out our brand and building out our community is something that we are going to have a much larger focus in 24. But it's tough to do as just a one man show getting off the ground looking back to 2021.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned you guys are in York. I guess first question, are you all in person and in an office every day at this point? We are.
1: Yeah. Just given the holidays we're not there right now, but yeah, look, I think the feedback cycles for the whole team are just so much faster in person. We've done remote over holidays or long weekends and things. And we just move so much faster being in person. And I think that's something that founders love being able to just stop by the office and speak face-to-face around some issue or problem that they're facing or some big hire that they're thinking through. There's something unique about being able to operate in an in-person capacity and something that we've leaned into and we'll continue to lean into.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned you guys have been in New York since you got started. Your office is out there. Seems like it's becoming increasingly a key hub of crypto and maybe the primary one in the U.S. I'm curious what you're seeing on the ground. Is that what you're seeing happen as well? Are you seeing more or less activity there? Kind of what's the scene look like in New York these days?
1: Yeah. So back in 2017, San Francisco was unquestionably the leader in terms of the crypto community. It's hard to say what the exact tipping point was, but it feels like New York is that dominant market for crypto founders. And you can just around Soho and in Williamsburg alone, you could walk around and you'll see people wearing crypto t-shirts of various companies and protocols. And so if you can see these things in the wild, it's typically a mark that that community is there. And our hope is that crypto can see a growth story similar to the internet. And so it's going to take time for crypto to get there. But our hope is that there are a number of US cities that are dominant places to build companies and protocols. And we feel like over the coming years, New York is going to continue to suck a lot of talent into its ecosystem, and it's going to have spillover effect With larger companies and protocols, they're going to produce more companies and protocols as sort of the operating cohort goes off to start their own thing. And we want to be front and center for that shift.
0: Yeah, makes sense. You talked about being an early stage venture firm in the blockchain space, but how do you think about what your focus is and kind of what's the thesis of the firm?
1: Yeah. So now that we have a larger team, the answer that I'll give you right now would be wildly different than two years ago, where it was just me playing super reactive, trying to cover as much ground as possible. Our approach with the team of 12 has been become a thought leader and expert in one to three categories, and then present on that, go find the most compelling entrepreneurs in those categories. My particular focuses are around infrastructure broadly, the intersection of crypto and AI, and then web three social. feels like those three categories have been massive and will continue to be massive over the coming years. But as a firm, we want to cover every single category. The last thing in the world we want to happen to us is something comes out of left field, and it becomes an absolutely massive category within the space, we want to have coverage on all of those things. And so I take a very active role in working with the younger folks on the team to develop their own theses, figure out what categories they're best suited for, and then being really methodical and outbound and getting in front of the most compelling entrepreneurs in those particular spaces.
0: Okay, interesting. So is the idea that everything or every, let's say, segment of the market or subsector is kind of covered by somebody within the firm?
1: That is the goal. It's a very ambitious goal. I think we take part of the Insight playbook here. They have the analyst program being hyper outbound. They've applied it to more growth stages, but increasingly more at the early stages. There's certainly a component that we pull out of the Insight playbook there, and it's tough to do with this technology moving as fast as it is. But that is the goal and trying to make predictions around what we think could be the main stories over the coming three to five years and getting ahead of those narratives before their narratives and allocating towards them.
0: Makes sense. You have the broad team covering a lot of stuff. As a partnership, you guys are making decisions around what deals to do, what not to do. How do you make sure that you're smart enough on each of these categories to make those decisions on individual deals? Yeah.
1: So I think to Get a full grasp of this space. It is a 24-7, 365-day kind of gig. And I'm super excited to bring on Dimitri, bring in that domain knowledge and helping to activate sort of the younger folks on the team. But there's no software or simple answer or CRM that perfectly answers it. I think it's just constantly being curious about what's happening in the space, why it's happening. And getting in front of founders who are the ones who are shipping product and creating new categories and things like that. So it's a constant effort and something I wish we could automate more efficiently, but the reality is it's a highly manual process.
0: Yeah, makes sense. You mentioned, you know, a lot of your time personally is spent in infrastructure, crypto and AI, and then Web3 Social. Would love to dig more into that, what you're most excited about
1: personally currently, and what you think is most interesting today. So just starting with Web3 Social, we're investors in Farcaster. We've been so impressed by Dan Romero and building out this organic ecosystem without speculation. Just over the last seven days, they've seen all-time usage, users, posts, and all this kind of stuff. And so it's hard to say what the exact era within Web2 we are for Web3 Social. Are we MySpace era? Are we even earlier than that with Friendster? Are we the Facebook era? I think it's really hard to say, but we think they're going to be absolutely massive outcomes in this space. And it feels like we're at the tipping point for a new wave of entrepreneurs coming in to build products that are aligned with the users. And so something that 2024, I think is going to be a major theme if it's not even already.
0: Are you seeing a high quantity of deal flow in the Web3 social space, like a lot of founders and a lot of activity there, or has it been more narrow? in some of the kind of more familiar names like Farcaster and Lens, as you mentioned?
1: I would say we're starting to see the long tail activate. Now, whether a lot of these products have staying power remains to be seen, but we're focused on backing the transformational type founders, ones who create new user behavior, create new markets, create new protocols for developers to build on. And so just over the last couple months, we've seen a ton of activity Most of these are more hacky type projects, but there will certainly be more that have staying power.
0: Okay, cool. You mentioned crypto and AI. You guys, I think announced recently you led a $25 million round for Ritual, which is at the intersection. Was that the first deal that you guys did kind of in that category? And just curious why that's an intersection you're
1: excited about. Yeah, it was the first investment we've since made another investment, which we'll announce probably sometime in Q1 or Q2. We're super excited about, both crypto coming into the world of AI and then AI is this next platform for developers within the Web3 and crypto ecosystem. With Ritual, I've known Naraj for six or so years, maybe even seven years. And we feel like that team has a huge amount of capability to actually execute on bringing AI and crypto into a protocol and allowing this platform for developers to explore what that intersection looks like. And I think it helps to have things like OpenAI and ChatGPT come out and they're dealing with their own issues. We think there's going to be an open source alternative and we think it's going to be built within crypto. And so we continue to be excited about that intersection. We feel like another massive theme that we're going to see in 24, 25 in the coming years. Awesome. Are there any
0: Categories that you guys just won't touch, whether you feel like it's just not your core competency at the end of the day or basically out a lack of interest?
1: We've stayed away from copycats that are deployed onto other blockchains. And so I think from a short-term perspective, those can be great trades, but how you build a long-term sustainable type application or protocol that's just a copycat of what might be working on Ethereum, we've stayed away from those. And so I think that's something that we're going to continue to stay away from. We're looking, again, for entrepreneurs who can deploy something that's entirely net new, create entirely new markets, or capitalize on major inefficiencies versus just the copycat. Feels a lot more like a trade than a venture type bet. I'd say that approach is certainly something that we're far less excited about.
0: Yeah, definitely see a lot of that out there. Also makes me curious... Will you guys primarily invest around Ethereum or are you guys open to investing with folks building other chains as well?
1: We're very open-minded. Like I'd say our approach is we track developers, we track the data, we're looking at smart contracts that are deployed. We take a unbiased view on where activity is happening. To date, it seems like a lot of things have coalesced around Ethereum and the Layer 2s that are building on top of Ethereum. It could look wildly different in the coming years. So Certainly something that we're not religious about, but just to refresh ourselves on data and developers and what the activity with those respective areas every quarter or so, I, I'd say.
0: Got it. You mentioned tracking data. What are the key things that you track? I mean, if you want to remind yourself, hey, crypto actually still is interesting and we're doing the right thing with our lives. <laughs> is there a certain data that you kind of watch a proxy of the health of the ecosystem or anything like that?
1: Yeah, all sorts of things. So yeah, I'd say smart contracts deployed. Testnet activity, we look at stablecoin usage, we look at things where you can clue in on organic activity versus airdrop farming and things like that. It's easy to get false positives out of these, all sorts of things. And I'd say our lens is even different from six months ago when on chain activity was super low. And it's probably easier to spot what's real and what's not six months ago now with incentives and the likes. Uh, you have to scrutinize these things even more aggressively. So something that we're constantly improving on and evolving and the market definitely has an impact in how we assess these things.
0: You're saying there's a big pickup in on-chain data. It's just a question of like how real and sustainable it is versus airdrop farming, so to speak.
1: Yeah, you got to normalize it. I'd say a little bit more so when you see just a ton of this incentive oriented activity.
0: Okay, Interesting. Yeah, so we've obviously been through a pretty tough bear market in the crypto space over the past 18 months. How do you feel about deploying in today's environment? More or less excited than you were a few months ago? just kind of curious what you're seeing out there.
1: Yeah, I think over the last two years, it's been a scary time to deploy capital. With that said, it's been one of the most exciting times and highest upside type times to be deploying capital. In Q3, I think we're at a four year low in venture deployment within crypto. And it's a scary prospect when you don't know who the players are going to be for that next round of financing. So our approach has been ensure entrepreneurs have a long enough runway to actually execute on what that product might look like, what the infrastructure might actually look like. So I'd say we've scrutinized runway much more so over these last few years than I had prior to that. And I think markets are really tough to time. And so we could be at a stage similar to 2019 where it's sort of the start of a bull market. I don't know. I think it's really hard to say these things. But yeah, we've stayed true to the focus of backing entrepreneurs who have long-term views, are maniacally focused on shipping product. And I think you can cut through bear markets with that kind of mentality not everything's going to work out and something you have to be comfortable with being a venture capitalist. But our approach has been backing the most ambitious with long-term views and things tend to fall into place with that mindset.
0: Yeah, makes sense. For existing portfolio companies, maybe ones that you're trying to help extend runway to the bear market, or maybe not, but how do you manage which ones you want to keep funding and kind of double down on or ones that aren't working out? Like, are there certain things you look at in terms of product market fit or kind of like data points around that? Or how do you think through that?
1: It's really tricky. We're not a multi-stage firm. We're an early stage firm. And so our focus is giving entrepreneurs the resources to execute and get to scale so that they have the optionality if they want to go sort of the growth route they can. Hopefully they're sustainable at some point, but our sort of focus is ensure that entrepreneurs have optionality when they hit those inflection points. In terms of teams who are still struggling to figure out product market fit, I'd say it's case by case in terms of where we allocate to and where we decide to hold back. And it's tricky. It's really tricky to do these things. But our promise to entrepreneurs is do everything in our power to get them to that product or protocol market fit. And the hope is they have tons of options there. Sometimes it's quite difficult to get to that point of product or protocol market fit. And so it's case by case and where we decide to extend runway or not.
0: Got it. More of a strategy question, but will you guys do like liquid public investments or is it all early stage private?
1: We have done some on the liquid front. I'd say our bread and butter is certainly early stage investing, both companies and things that will be protocols or launch tokens, we have done it. And I think it's something you have to take a long-term mindset towards investing towards. We're not traders by any means. I would go crazy if I had to think about token prices on a daily or hourly basis. But yeah, it's certainly something that we have done. And if there's right opportunities that pop along, we'll consider adding to that sort of suite of liquid holdings.
0: Okay, interesting. I guess kind of another like portfolio construction curiosity, I mean, for some funds... You know, we see crypto funds that have fifty to one hundred investments, as like let's say early stage venture funds. I mean, that's quite a lot more than you would typically see, like in traditional venture capital. I think there's like a certain safety in doing that, where you know you have this kind of big, diverse portfolio, and you might have something return one or two hundred x, and still could return the fund theoretically. In that case, you guys have obviously opted for more like high conviction, concentrated portfolio construction. Just kind of curious, like why you've gone that route and some of the thinking there.
1: Yeah. So our approach is being a lead partner, leading or co-leading rounds with entrepreneurs. I think to build out a portfolio of 100 or 200 or so per fund, I think it's something that's tricky to do if you keep a high bar within the space. And so, yeah, our approach has been really partner with these entrepreneurs, make deep conviction bets, 30 or so shots on goal per fund. And... It's not the end of the relationship once you write the check. That's the beginning of the relationship. And that's something that we really do take to heart. We want to help influence these massive outcomes across the portfolio. And so I'd say it's a very different style, but one that feels much more like venture to me versus spray and pray kind of approach. And just being maniacally focused on leading investments and being that sort of go-to partner for entrepreneurs, something that we find compounds on itself and is just so much more rewarding as these outcomes materialize.
0: Yeah. So I guess besides like a pure portfolio construction exercise, you feel like having more concentrated portfolio actually gives you the proper time to spend with the founders and kind of help them out post-investment. Whereas if you had a hundred different portfolio investments, that'd be very difficult. I think it's near
1: impossible and it becomes far more transactional versus being a true partner to these founders and really influencing direction, strategy, and getting towards that larger type outcome.
0: Okay. Love to dig in more around what are you doing after the investment? What is this work that you are helping founders with? I mean, I guess just to step back a bit, you guys are a venture firm. You operate in a competitive environment in the sense that you're competing to have great founders take your capital. How do you guys differentiate your capital and get the best founders from your perspective to want to work with Archetype? And what is that post-investment role that you were speaking to look like in general?
1: Yeah. So I'd say when there's a prospective investment, our approach has been treat that team like they're already a portfolio company. So that's helping on the BD front with introductions. That's helping on the recruiting front with hires. That's helping put together what product market fit or protocol market fit actually might look like. That is helping to ideate on if it's user facing ideating on, okay, how do we get to initial network effects? Like what does scale actually look like? So having sort of a sense on what we think success looks like and projecting that onto founders where sometimes we're not spot on, but just bringing in that perspective of being zero to scale over my last eight, nine years investing in this space, the team's collective X or so years investing in this space, that approach has resonated a lot. And then I'd say that strategy is going to evolve. And I think being that sounding board to entrepreneurs, being that thought partner around things that shift in market, maybe what product or protocol market fit might look like will evolve. And so doing biweekly catch-ups and check-ins with the entire portfolio, we're on Telegram every day. And I think it was every other day we hit 70% of the portfolio or they hit us with something just the back and forth. And I think that's an embodiment of truly being an outsourced team member. That's something you're not going to get with a firm that has much larger scale. You're not going to get the rolling up of the sleeves and just like the boutique type service that we really care deeply about for the way we partner with founders.
0: Yeah. And that's an incredible stat. What, 70% of your portfolio, you're basically communicating with what is it, every day or every other day?
1: Every other day. Yeah. So... We did this six months ago. I'd have to check what the latest numbers look like, but just being that close thought partner to teams and founders that we've backed.
0: You mentioned kind of a few things that you guys help out with. Is there like any consistency around what you see as like the biggest pain point that
1: folks come to you for or ask for help with? It's all across the board. It could be regulatory. It could be hiring. It could be launching a token. It could be thinking about acquiring a smaller team in the space. Like, I think it just depends on the type of founder, what a first time entrepreneur is thinking about is very different than your repeat entrepreneur within the category. So I'd say we try to tailor our value prop to the entrepreneur depending on their background and try to almost get ahead of it and say, hey, this is something that's going to come up over the coming months. This is how you should think about it with XYZ.
0: Got it. And you mentioned the regulatory environment, not really that curious to get into the weeds of the regulatory environment exactly, but just curious if it has an impact on how you guys invest and how you allocate capital and just what type of stuff you decide to invest in.
1: I think it's tricky, right? The U.S. has not been a great place for crypto in general. And our hope is that in the coming years, there will be a path for teams to compliantly launch tokens. And we're doing our best to influence that and accelerate it. I think it's more just it is what it is. And as an entrepreneur in the space, you got to be very smart about how you think around deploying, how you build out your team, things that you should be hyper-cognizant of. And so I'd say our role has been, okay, across the risk spectrum, this is highest risk, this is the lowest risk, just being a provider of information and the status quo and I think you're similar, and everyone in this space is similar. Our hope is that the US can be the absolute leader in this industry, but it's going to take some time, going to take some convincing and education and all these things. So at its current point, it's almost a it is what it is, but things are certainly improving from just 12 months ago.
0: Yeah, that's good to hear. I mean, are you seeing any changes in terms of you're seeing more teams decide to establish outside the US, or are you seeing founders kind of move abroad or kind of specific things like that given? This situation here?
1: Yeah, I'd say some founders are far more intentional about it. And it's not our job to say you have to move out of the US or you have to do this. It's our job to help educate teams around, okay, here's the risk spectrum and teams can decide for themselves. I would say we've seen somewhat of an exodus from developers going overseas. But I do think there's still a massive community here in the US. You, just, you look at the numbers, 52 million Americans hold or own crypto. This is a product and an industry that Americans want exposure to. And for founders, I think we're going to continue to see more founders build products, build crypto protocols and companies here in the US with the hope that we have more clarity around what things look like from a regulatory perspective. But yeah, it's hard to say at a high level, like is the exodus accelerating? Is it decelerating? I think it's something that we'll keep close tabs on and put numbers to in the coming months and quarters and years.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, so you guys are a pretty young firm, but you've already had some M&A activity in the portfolio. I think one of your portfolio companies had was recently acquired by Alchemy, another US Bitcoin Corp merged with HUD-8, which is a publicly traded company. So now they're a merged NASDAQ listed company. Just kind of curious, I mean, are you guys seeing more interest in terms of M&A activity more recently, or has it been pretty slow just given the bear market crypto conditions?
1: Our hope is that companies and protocols can be massive standalone entities, but I think they're a select number in the portfolio and just in the space that find homes where they can still sort of reach their goals, whether it's M&A acquisition or something else. And so I've actually been surprised that there hasn't been more M&A activity from the private crypto companies in the US who have these quite substantial balance sheets, have very expensive shares and can sort of go out and equip those shares and go out and scoop up companies. It could just be that a lot of them have not been announced. But frankly, I've been surprised there hasn't been more on the M&A front. And I think from our perspective, again, we want to help entrepreneurs build massive standalone entities and things and protocols and whatnot. And so there's going to be certainly some teams that end up merging or get acquired, what have you. But frankly, I've been surprised there hasn't been more. Yeah. So you're looking at your
0: existing portfolio. Curious if you could highlight one or two portfolio investments that you're particularly excited about or have seen great progress as of late.
1: We're super excited about this new meta of points. And we feel like so Points, for those unaware, think of them as incentives that you can earn in-app across crypto applications. We feel like the next iteration with points is on-chain points. And so we have a porco called Stack and Soul that's helping power on-chain points. The founder, Ram Boy, he was previously CTO at Mirror and then before that at Dharma. And so we feel like that's going to be a huge theme of 24 Another one to go into is Ansible. They're building an off-ramp for crypto wallets and yeah, non-custodial crypto wallets where the current process today is seven steps where you go from your wallet to Coinbase to converting it into cash to waiting X amount of days. Ansible streamlines that whole process into one step where you can go straight from your wallet into your bank account. feels like a massively void... Primitive for the space that's missing, and they've seen a ton of it uptick. And I think there are a number of others Privy and what they've done around the wallet abstraction front, making these apps far easier to use. Without Privy, you wouldn't have seen things like FriendTech and a bunch of these other applications, specifically mobile applications that have popped up in the space. That's just three. I could go on for another for like <laughs> 25 or so. But yeah, definitely excited across the entire portfolio.
0: Yeah. So a couple of random questions there. So Stack and Soul, so they basically provide infrastructure that any company or protocol that wants to implement points, they can kind of bootstrap that via Stack and Soul? That's correct. That's correct. Okay. Interesting. How does that work with Ansible? I mean, yeah, to your point, if I want to move funds from my MetaMask to like my bank account, I mean, it's a huge pain. How does that actually work to create such a seamless off-ramp for self-custody wallets?
1: So for Ansible, they came out of the Visa crypto team. They understand the flow of funds in the traditional sense, and then also on the crypto side. And so it takes partnerships to actually build the product that they've built out. But we're seeing sort of the early days of the Ansible team hitting their inflection point, just with the volumes and and flow from these wallets to bank accounts. So it feels like it's going to be a much larger theme in the coming years as on-chain activity continues to heat up.
0: Cool. Is that live where I could actually go use Ansible today? It is. It is. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'll check that out. And yeah, you mentioned Privy is infrastructure, which powers folks, including Tech, in different ways. Do you think Tech is something that is sustainable or less so?
1: It's hard to say. I think the Frentech approach has been more speculative in nature to begin with and less organic. And so I think ultimately you need to have an organic type of network to have those network effects. Otherwise, it's all entirely financialized. Whereas it seems like Farcaster have taken the much more organic route. The speculative components are beginning to come out, but in very different forms. And so we're users. We like to play around with all of these things. But it's hard to say the Frentech approach, if they're going to get to that organic type of network in the coming months and years, just having put speculation at the forefront.
0: Yeah. So... Curious to go back to more kind of the experience building the firm. You guys have been doing this for two and a half, three years at this point. Venture funds, it's kind of like a 10-year journey, but two and a half years, it's like 10 years in crypto, so we'll go with it. Just curious like if you could go back and like talk to yourself when you were just getting going, what do you wish you understood or what would you tell yourself about starting a firm like this?
1: Building a firm, especially in crypto, is something where... You got to be really intentional around your service providers and getting to a point where it can be self sustaining. And I think just understanding which service providers to go with, like the ones we're working with now, it probably would have saved me months on end of interviewing and talking to friends about who to work with for custody, legal, banking, analytics, audit, et cetera, et cetera. That's a part of the business that I did not have exposure to at my prior firms. And so I'd say just getting up to speed on those various aspects of running a venture capital firm, especially in crypto, took some time. But it's helpful also to go through those things to figure out, okay, what does our stack actually look like? I mentioned it earlier around the goal for 23 was around firm building. And I think the timing was great. But I think being a good coach and mentor to the team is something that I'm always trying to get better at, and just seeking help and asking others for their approaches is something that maybe I should have spent more time early on, but it's a journey, right, and so I feel really grateful for where we're at as a firm, where the team is at individually, and so it feels like a lot of these hiccups that popped up along the way over the last two and a half years we've seamed out, and so it should be a super productive year for twenty four and for the coming years
0: nice, yeah, I think a lot of Emerging managers, first-time funds, really underestimate the operational side of things. But you're forced to learn quick, for good or bad. So (laughs) that's the truth. Yeah, has it been kind of weird? You you go from being a single GP; it's just you. Now you have a team of twelve. You have to do a lot more mentoring and to your point earlier, teaching folks. Is that kind of like a weird transition to go from just making decisions on your
1: own to having to actually like lead a proper firm? It's been an incredible transition for me. I feel like I'm leading a team versus just being this solo athlete, I find it a lot more rewarding. The team shares in successes and shares in mistakes or things that don't work out along the way. And just doing that with folks around the table has just been so much more rewarding, I'd say. You can definitely do the job as an individual, but having a whole team focused on a collective mission and when things work out, it's just been so rewarding. So... Yeah, I would say it's a transition that I knew was coming and I've embraced a ton. If you're of the personality where you don't want to be working as a team, I think it's a remarkably hard transition. So yeah, it's something that I've certainly enjoyed and it's fun learning these things and getting better as a manager and as a leader.
0: That's awesome. So if you weren't doing crypto or VC for a living, like something totally different, what would you do for a living to make a career?
1: I've been doing it my whole professional life. So it's hard to say, <laughs> I love building. I love the entrepreneurial mindset. I don't know what I would be building exactly, but I think I would be building something. And so building software is something that can scale far faster than building houses or homes or whatever it may be. But I think it would be building something. And I don't know exactly what it would be.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Maybe building a restaurant or something. So if your venture career doesn't work out, I look forward to eating at your restaurant sometime in the future. But <laughs> I love it. yeah, awesome. How can folks find you
1: online or Archetype? So we're on Twitter at Archetype VC. You can find me on Twitter at Ash A. Egan. Yeah, always happy to chat with folks who are interested in building something wildly new in the space. So feel free to reach out. My DMs are open and Archetype's DMs are also open.
0: Cool. Well, this is an awesome conversation. Thanks so much for joining us, Ash. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, bro.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside the Hut with your host, Brooke Pollock. You can find this and other episodes on any podcast player or at our website,
1: www.hutcapital.com.